Blog Talk Radio. Walking down the street, hand in mind, it don't keep them other guys. And that one night I'm looking at you. But it's alright, and that's okay. Who could blame them anyway? You're so pretty and you ain't even got a clue are chirping, the dogs are barking, and rubber is burning. Come celebrate 50 years of speed this April 26th through the 28th at Talladega Super Speedway. Just when you thought the biggest, baddest track in NASCAR couldn't get any better, we broke ground on transformation. The Talladega Super Speedway infield project to enhance the fan experience. Check it out in 2019 if you're big and bad enough. Good evening from Duggan Nation. I'm Tim Despain, alongside of SpeedwayDigest.com's Mr. Stephen Wilson. He's right outside of Richmond Raceway up there in the Commonwealth of Virginia. The number to call in is 215-383-3681. Coming up here shortly, we've got uh, the one and only, Mr. Humpy Weather, one of the great, greatest promoters ever in the sport of NASCAR. going to swing by about 20 after the hour 
and uh, talk with us. But we had some breaking news come out yesterday. Uh, Austin Wayne self, uh, he failed the substance abuse policy, 12.1.19. He is sitting on an indefinite suspension there. Uh, it's Section 19 in the Section Bodies Rule Book, and I'll go ahead and uh, – I'll, I'll quote exactly what it says. It says, through a comprehensive testing program, NASCAR substance abuse policy rules are designed to keep events safe for everyone and provide a level playing field. Strong testing program saves lives, prevent injury, give NASCAR members additional reasons to say no to illegal drugs, and help identify people with substance abuse issues the misuse of alcohol, prescription drugs, and any other substance used in a manner that affects safety or impacts the integrity of the competition, including but not limited to illegal or performance-enhancing substances. All NASCAR members are responsible for whatever goes into their body. That is verbatim of the sanctioned body's rule book. So uh, that come out Monday after the Texas event. Mr. Austin Wayne failed the, failed the random drug test, but uh, – Coming off a big weekend there at uh, Texas Motor Speedway, uh, Denny Hamlin got win number two, so he is uh, he's probably just about a lot to be in the uh, in the chase for for the 2019 championship. But let's listen to a little bit about what Denny Hamlin had to say in the media center after he won the uh, Cup race there at Texas. We will now go ahead and begin our post-race media availability as we are joined by Chris Gabehart, uh, the, cr- the crew chief for the number 11 FedEx office Toyota. Congratulations, Chris. We'll go ahead and open it up to media for some questions. Please raise your hand and we'll get to you as soon as possible. We'll start here in the front with Jeff. Hey, Jeff Gluck from jeffgluck.com. Um, was the, was the no tire calls today, was that like a, a difficult decision to wrestle with or was that a no-brainer? very difficult decision to wrestle with that's what i'm going to say but no for for what for our car and in the performance and kind of everything we were seeing it was uh it was very not necessarily track position oriented race because we found a way to give that give that away a lot (laughs) in the race but uh minimum time on pit road and and for our scenario each time it just it just made the most sense unfortunately worked out we'll go to bob I'm Pockers, Fox Sports. Are you pretty clear on the uncontrolled tire rule, or you just kind of say you, you got to do what you got to do to have a fast pit stop, and occasionally you'll leave it at, but to NASCAR's hands? Yeah, I mean, you know, NASCAR's done a good job of making everything pretty black and white on that. Of course, in, in the heat of the battle, you're, you, it's my job to argue our case, especially when I think it's co- close. And in that that case, we felt like it was, but the call didn't go our way, and at that point, you got to play the ball where it lies and rebound, regroup, and, and Denny and the team did a good job of that. And we are now joined by our, our race-winning driver, Denny Hamlin, driver of the number 11 FedEx office Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing. Congratulations, Denny. Oh, shit. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, Bit upright, bit low. Hey, what's up? Hi, and we're also joined by team owner Joe Gibbs. Thanks for joining us, guys. Congratulations. We'll continue with our media availabilities. If you have a question, please raise your hand. 
Well, we'll this go, is about normal. We'll go over here to Jerry and then down to the front to Dustin. Uh, for, Mr. for Mr. Gibbs, please, this is Jerry Fraley of the Dallas Morning News. Uh, Mr. Gibbs, do you find it all remarkable that only seven races into the season, only two organizations have wins? Two elite organizations, obviously. Yeah, I, I think what happens in our, in our sport, you know, you get on a hot streak, and then we all know in pro sports the hardest thing is to stay up there. And so I would say that some of those others are knocking on the door. I think there were some teams today that had a chance, but they made mistakes. And so I think it's just one of those things right now. But, uh, you know, we're thrilled to be a part of it, I'll tell you that. And I hope we I hope we can find a way to stay up there. But in pro sports, we all know the hardest thing is to stay up there week in and week out because, you know, we got so many really good cars, many good owners and good good competitors. It's the best racing in the world. We'll come down here to Dustin. Dustin Long, NBC Sports. Uh, I've got a couple of questions for Denny. Uh, first off, um, the, the the speeding penalty, the uncontrolled tire. I think did you did you miss pit road or did yeah. you or did you run out of fuel? I missed pit. Well, both. We ran out of fuel. Uh, <laughs> I know it's amazing. It was we ran out of fuel early day. in the race. Uh, I passed pit road and we ran out. That cost us. I don't know, six, seven. It was a lot. It seemed like a lot. I lost a straightaway to everybody else. I think you passed 327 cars by my count, but maybe and then, not that uh, And then I tried to come to pit road hot, and I about spun out, and I had to let off the brakes to keep from spinning out, and then I knew I wasn't going to make pit road, so I had to check up and then lose another four or five seconds under another green flag sequence. And then um, and then we just – I was just beating my head against the <laughs> – steering wheel thinking man we're going to finish bad with a really fast car and um we just kept digging and chris kept doing a good job on encouraging us that we had a long way to go and we kept passing cars and passing cars and i think at some point we passed everyone for sure um but uh once we got the clean air in the front uh the 20 pulled off for his pit stop it allowed me to be more aggressive uh with the way i was driving and then we made a really good adjustment there at the end that got our car better. So really the only time our car you know, kind of struggled handling-wise was when we were in that pack of three with our teammates. Um, and, and, you know, had we had the balance we had earlier in the day, I felt like we could have probably got around them. But certainly we were uh, – uh, we, we had a great car all day, just a, you know, you know, a bunch of hiccups in the middle of it. And we just uh, were, were fast enough to overcome uh, everything that, you know, kind of got thrown at us. Obviously, this rules package was one of the intentions was to kind of close the gap with the field or keep the field closer at time. You know, the leader didn't get way out away. Without this rules package, do you win this race with these penalties and issues uh, playing I don't out? Know. I, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, as fast as our car was, I mean, maybe, maybe not. But certainly, you know, our car was really reliant on, on drafting, you know, having somebody in front of me to run fast lap times. Uh, but once I could control the pace and I got out front there in stage two, uh, I thought we were able to pull away as, as good as anyone from the pack. Uh, that just told me how fast our car was. Um, you know, we were able to – I was able to drive it more aggressively. And then from that point on, uh, I, I really thought I figured something out inside the car that made me be able to be more aggressive even in traffic than what I was earlier in the day. Yeah, I don't know. It's so different now. I mean, it is so, so different. Um, you know, you, you, when you go to these racetracks, you can't look at past winners and past trends and histories. 
all that stuff is just no good anymore. You got to just start from scratch, and we're all learning together. We're going to go over to your right and then up to the press box. Mark Darrow with PRN. Danny, Danny, you just talked about beating your head against steering wheel, frustrated you might lose with a uh, fast car. Do you take some special satisfaction in sort of defying the odds as you, you know, all afternoon long, nobody's really thinking about you, and just you guys just keep plugging it away and find a way to win? Yeah, I mean, I mean, short. Uh, in short, really, all it, all that cost us today was we we lost out on stage points in the first stage, and it, and I probably cost us a lot of laps led, uh, more than likely. But certainly things fell favorable for us uh, with the cautions that did come. We were able to have some really good restarts. Uh, that was key for us as well. The final two restarts, we were really able to gain positions. And really, I thought that we were able to go through the pack as good as anyone when we did get behind. So that that was key. It looked like passing was, was very, very difficult. There's no doubt about it. But it seemed like our car could move around uh, as good as anyone, and, and that's what was allowed me to be aggressive and allowed me to come through the pack multiple times. As a follow-up, how do you feel? That's David Ivers, Denny Hamill, there in the Media Center at Texas Motor Speedway after winning his second points-paying event this year. He won the Daytona 500 also. But, Stephen, uh, before we get before we get started, I know you wanted to bring up about the passing of Mr. Gary Hill. Let our listeners know about that and what all he meant to the to our uh, great sport of NASCAR. It's a Gary Hill last night. He passed away um, in an unfortunate accident at his house. Um, for for uh, most that don't know what he did, um, he was a licensed artist that had created many programs for Daytona and Charlotte and one-of-a-kind art pieces similar to what uh, Sam Bass had done, and he had passed away just a couple of weeks ago his own self. Um, so he um, has been around the sport since about the um, – 1960s or something like that. And so he's been a long time in the sport, uh, done a lot of work uh, with stained glass and posters and um, programs and one of kind artworks of drivers and wins. Uh, did the one of uh, Bill Elliott when he won the million dollars. Kevin Harvick when he won uh, after the passing of. Uh, Dale Earnhardt uh, Jr. I mean Dale Earnhardt Sr. and uh, when he drove the 29 car uh, just a couple of weeks later, um, so um, he he's got a pretty in-depth um, resume as far as that is concerned. And um, just last night, um, an unfortunate accident that that occurred at his house. He's uh, he passed away. And, Stephen, uh, our thoughts and prayers from uh, Speedway Digest, uh, the Pit Stop Radio, and every, and everybody that's, in, that's involved with this uh, radio station, uh, Spencer Boyd and his and his show, and uh, Adam Sinclair. We all send our condolences to the family and the friends of Mr. Gary Hill. And, Stephen, right, right before you come up, sad, sad news again. I hate to just but into something, but... Uh, we lost Gary, like we, you know, we lost our good friend Sam Bass. Sam was a big promoter of our show. He come on multiple times, but just it's a sad time in in the sport. And you know, life life goes on. I guess when your number comes up, this you just gonna go when the good Lord gets ready for you. You headed that way. But anyway, Stephen, like I was talking about right before you come on, we were talking about uh, 
Officer Wayne Self, the penalty come down from a sanctioning body this past Monday after Texas, after race to Texas Motor Speedway. Officer Wayne Self failed the substance abuse policy 12.1, Section 19. Do you have any information? I've read off verbatim exactly what Section 19 the NASCAR substance abuse policy says, and I know you know it exactly by heart. And it's it's like we've we've had multiple drivers uh, that have, that have went down this road. We've had some that has chose not to go through the road to recovery. I guess that's what NASCAR calls it, you know, try to get back. But he is, Austin Wade himself is suspended from the sport indefinitely from NASCAR. Do you have any details on exactly what he was taking or something that triggered that uh, false, or not, not not a false, but a, but a positive fail on the drug test? No, I don't. I don't know what he failed on particularly, and I'm sure that at some point NASCAR may come out and tell us exactly what, um, you know, what substance that he uh, uh, he had failed upon. But this is uh, something that went back to Daytona, where he was pulled from a random drug test at Daytona, and the subsequent failing of that, they... Uh, Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Seven, zero, four, three... David, I think Still Suzanne's there? trying to call. Yeah. Su- Suzanne's trying to get in touch with Humpy. Yeah, go ahead and talk. Uh-huh. Let me see if I can... Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump over here and see if I can get it. So um, it, it was subsequent. So subsequently, they asked for the B sample to be tested, and um, you know, as they went to the western part uh, of the swing. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice uh, messaging system. Your call has seven, been forwarded zero, to an automated four, voice messaging three, system. Five one seven two zero four four three five. Suzanne's got the switchboard going, brother. Keep on going. Um, So he was able to run Atlanta And he was able to run Las Vegas And um, by the time they came back to Martinsville The B sample had been verified And um, he was um, Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system Seven, zero, four Uh, uh, folks, that's my darling wife, Suzanne. She manages manages the uh, the uh, calling system here. Sometimes AM helps out too. But uh, I think she finally got humpy. So, we'll, but anyway, go ahead, Steve. Sorry about that. It's, we had never really called anybody exactly. They've always called in, but maybe maybe she got a hold of humpy there. <laughs> well, anyways, yeah. Um, when it came to to Martinsville, they. Uh, he was he was spending and taken out of the car. So uh, so that's uh, that's kind of the storyline is what's going on there. Yeah, and you know uh, we've had uh, Jeremy Mayfield. God bless his heart. We, I know uh, your your good friend Brett had him on when back when they were doing a, a show. You know Jer- Jeremy Mayfield. Was probably I don't know if he's one of the first ones that we've ever had to actually fail the new substance abuse policy, but he he actually failed it, and he was too daggum hard headed to go through the road to recovery to come back. Like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't AJ Armendinger have a uh, 
positive test on something, which I think he was taking something for sinuses or something. That's what come out on that. But AJ done the road to recovery and come back and, you know, done really, really great. And, you know, it's just, I don't know exactly to a T like what the NASCAR drug, what they actually test for. I know, uh, I have to go through a random test here at Coosa Valley Electric every so often whenever my name gets pulled. Uh, and with the surges, surgeries and stuff and the high blood pressure that I have now, uh, I'm, I no longer have Class A CDL license, which I, I do have them, but I don't have my medical card. So I don't have to go through a what they call a DOT test. And the Department of Transportation, they test a lot in depth rather than somebody that's a non-DOT uh, licensed driver. But I don't know what these kids are thinking. If if we can get Humpy on here shortly, I I, I won't get his take because Humpy has a real good take on it. But still, I don't know what some of these kids are thinking going out and doing whatever they're doing. I'm not saying they're doing, you know, meth or anything like that, but they're doing something that's triggering that positive test. Even. I mean, and it's not only drivers. It's crew members. You and I get, uh, we get the penalty report every uh Sometimes Mondays, sometimes Tuesdays, we get that penalty report, and uh, you'll see a crew member from the so-and-so, so-and-so suspended indefinitely, and they call it the be, the behavior, but it's, it's the substance abuse policy. And, Stephen, I don't know what these kids and people are thinking about because they have made it to the top tier in motorsports, and then they go out and do something stupid like that. Well, I mean, NASCAR has been pretty vocal about the fact of what they do and how it's all about. They, I mean, they even have a list of things out there that you don't get to or you shouldn't be on. So, I mean, it's not like they don't know what they can and can't take. And, I mean, a lot of this that's on this list, too, at the same time are, are, are rather subjective in the fact that, um, you know, we – or or not we, but but NASCAR does allow some leeway into uh, uh, exactly some of these substances. And, I mean, these substances aren't necessarily performance-enhancing. They're not necessarily illegal narcotics or anything like that. Um, there's some, some, some of these substances can be found in um, many prescriptions. And it's not the fact that NASCAR doesn't, want you to take these, they just want to be uh, advised as to what you are taking. Um, and if that you are taking it for a legitimate reason, such as a cold or whatever means that you're taking it legitimately for, that, you know, it's not affecting your ability to go out there um, on the racetrack and drive a car or beyond pit road where it may put put you in some kind of danger. So, you know, again, it's, you know, NASCAR wants to be advised of these things, and they have their medical doctors at the same time that look a lot of these things over, and, you know, if they're under the judgment of the fact that you're taking something for legitimate reasons that, that they feel may impair you in the car, you know, they don't, they either A, don't want you to take the substance, or B, they don't want you in the car, until you've uh, recovered. And, you know, that's not necessarily a road to recovery type of situation. It's just a situation where it's a judgment call. And, um, you know, 
the agent Armendegger, he was uh, he was popped for um, uh, Adderall, and you know Adderall is prescribed to millions of people in the United States for legitimate reasons. But you know if NASCAR didn't know that he was taking this and they weren't being advised, and the medical teams weren't able to assess his impairment uh, on these on these um, prescriptions, then um, you know that's where you run afoul of their substance abuse policy. That's right, Stephen. And, uh, uh, I tried calling Humpy again, and I don't know if Humpy had something come up or whatever, so we're just going to leave Humpy on the side. We're just going to scratch him out. If he decides to call in, he can, he can, he can call in. Stephen, we had uh, – I know you had mentioned, too, uh, we got the note about Harrison Burton. He's going to race eight or nine races for uh, – Joe Gibbs race or Cal Bush Motorsports. Help me out, Stephen. I'm trying to find a note. Yeah, he he can run this for basically the car that Kyle Bush would be in. Uh, Kyle is coming up on his maximum number that he can run per year. And with this weekend being a dash for cash, uh, as well as Richmond over and some other tracks are dash for cash, um, Kyle can't be in the race car. So he's... Uh, you know, they're substituting him and putting uh, on up a cover driver from KBM in that car and giving them an opportunity to run in the Xfinity Series in a car that, you know, he would traditionally run or, you know, have run throughout various parts of the year. So, um, you know, that's, um, you know, it's a, it's a good opportunity for him. Uh, he's young. He's up and coming. Um, he's being acclimated uh, to to the levels of of NASCAR, uh, not only running with Ventura Motorsports with the with the ARCA series, but KBM and now JJR. So you know they're acclimating him to more seat time. As this is his first year that he can go and race on things that are uh, uh, longer tracks. So. Uh, yeah, as he moves up, he's getting that he's getting that seat time in there to um, better prepare himself for when he does make a jump and when that jump is going to be. Who knows? Honestly, I think that jump is going to have to wait until there's a a spot for Christopher Bell um, over there at Joe Gibbs Racing in their Xfinity Series program that they've got right now. They've got a problem of where to put uh, Christopher Bell, so. Um, you know, before uh, before you see uh, uh, Harrison Burton or somebody else, maybe over at KBM, uh, step up. Um, you're gonna you're gonna have to find a place for you know some of these other drivers. I mean, there's a limited number of cars and seats that they can be put in. But uh, for for Harrison Burton, I think this is his first well, not really his first opportunity, but I think this is uh, an opportunity for him to be exposed to. Um, uh, bigger, heavier cars, uh, some faster speeds uh, at these racetracks, and uh, um, different different competitors across the, across the spectrum, and uh, for more people to continue seeing uh, his abilities uh, through multiple different series. That's right, brother. And I first met Harrison Burton a few years back down uh, south of me here at Montgomery Motor Speedway. He was running up. Super late model down there at that at that famous track where the Allisons used to 
rule down there. But th- just to touch on what you also just said, I found the uh, note. Jeff Burton, uh, Harrison Burton, I keep on saying, 19 years old. Yes, he will make his debut this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway in the Xfinity Series. And then he's scheduled to compete at Isle Speedway on June the 16th in New Hampshire on June 20th, and then your home track, Richmond International Raceway, September 20th, and then Charlotte Motor Speedway, September 28th, Dover International Speedway, October 5th, Kansas Speedway, October 19th, and Texas Motor Speedway. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. He is uh, 7 0 4 3 5 1 I'm going to pull Suzanne's phone, phone record. But anyway, yeah, I just wanted to touch base on there with 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 that to give some of the dates. I know you've been busy, and I found the uh, note that we got from Joe Gibbs Racing about all that. But, Stephen, uh, if we can, let's take a little quick break, and I know we have some more stuff we want to discuss and talk about. I want to talk about, when we come back from this break, I want to talk about Ryan Neiman. You know, this qualifying deal, everybody's scared that, NASCAR is going to go back to single car qualifying. I hope they don't. But what happened at Auto Club Speedway and what happened at Texas, NASCAR told the guys, said, y'all leave the middle open to anybody that wants to go. And I'd be damned if Ryan Newman didn't pull in there and try to get out of the way, try to nose in somewhere and block the middle to leave Clint Boyer hanging. And Clint was irate. But anyway. Let's take a quick break, Stephen. I'm let you let that sink in on your mind, and I know you got a lot to talk about that because I know I do too. And I want to apologize to Humpy Wheeler; he must have had something come up. But let's let's take a little quick break. Uh, uh, I'm Timothy Spain, alongside SpeedwayDigest.com. Mr. Stephen Woods. We'll be right back after this song. Midland drinking problem. <laughs> One more night, one more down, one more, one more round. First one in, last one out, giving this town of the talking about. But they don't know, but they don't know. People say I got a drinking problem, that ain't no reason to stop.
fans who've been here from the beginning and the new ones along the way, to those who've witnessed history and those who've made their own. You've made the last 50 years go by fast, and we're not slowing down. This is Talladega. We're back live from Dega Nation. I'm Tim Despain, alongside of BeWayDigest.com's Mr. Stephen Wilson. He's live right outside of Richmond Raceway up there in the Commonwealth of Virginia. The number to call in is 215-383-3681. And again, I apologize. I think Humphrey Wheeler must have had something to come up. But, Stephen, like I mentioned before we took the break there, uh, we were talking about uh, qualifying and the issues we had at Auto Club Speedway. And then NASCAR making the statement or what have you that teams, when they pull out of their pits, to line up inside and outside and leave the middle lane open. And Stephen Ryan Neiman pulled up in the middle lane, tried to get the inside lane there and blocked Clint Boyer. And Clint was furious, Stephen. What's your take on what we need to do to – I don't want to go back to single-file qualifying, Stephen. <laughs> Well, my my idea is to go back to some car qualifying. Um, at this point, I just honestly just don't see another way around it. I don't know how many times you can tell drivers um, to stop playing games out there. And for every change, they just figure another game out that they can play. Um, my idea has been fairly simple in, in that aspect. I lost you, brother. You there? Stephen dropped. Stephen will call back here in just a minute. I know he has a lot of good thoughts on that on that situation. But like, um, you know, Stephen says he don't want to bring back single fire qualifying. He said he does, and I'm not a big. Well, I'm the reason I'm not a big fan of it on your on your big tracks like um, uh, my home track here at Talladega and Daytona. A lot, I mean, we've always done it for years and years, but a lot of the fans claim it's somewhat boring because you have these monster facilities that you have to try to get these all these cars around, and it takes so long. But anyway, Stephen's back, and I'll let him finish his talk there. On um, This is the first time Stephen and I have ever disagreed on a situation. I don't want single-fire qualifying. He does. Like I just mentioned, Stephen, like my home track here at Talladega, it takes so long to do that. But anyway, go ahead and finish your statement, brother. Yeah, um, so, you know, I'm in favor of going back to it only for the, for the aspect of, you know, we've just got to we just gotta quit playing these games out there. But my idea is fairly simple on to this. Um, you know, we, we don't want an hour and a half, two, three hours, whatever it takes to go out there. I say we just go to one round, one lap, and wherever you fall, you fall. Um you have uh, drivers who repeatedly fail inspection before qualifying. I said that if you can't pass on your second attempt through, through, you go put the thing in the garage, you can start at the rear. Same thing as, you know, drivers don't want to show up on the line at the time that it, they're, they're supposed to. And back in the day, it was within five minutes if you didn't show up on the line uh, of, your, of your qualifying time, um, you didn't get to qualify. I'd say you cut it down to three minutes. If the driver doesn't show up within three minutes to the line, 
park them in the garage, and they can start at the rear. And I know some teams they said, well, you know, there's, you know, this is extra costly to us because then we're going to run a qualifying trim, we're going to run a race trim, we're going to run a practice trim. You know, that's just another trim that we got to go out there and we got to run. Well, there's a simple solution to that one too. Let them go out there and practice all day long. Let them practice for two, three days, however many days that they have in the weekend to practice. Tell them they can use whatever trim that they want to use. But whatever they present the car to the line with and to inspection, that's the trim that you're going to race in. Because as soon as inspection is over and your lap is done, you're going to park the thing in the garage. And you're not going to touch it until you push it back out to the grid on race day. I think there's plenty of ample opportunities out there to make this simple, straightforward, not take a whole lot of time, and cut it, and cut down on the monkey business and the games that continue to be played by these drivers that, you know, with not only the way they present their cars, but when they show up to the line and what they do when they're going out there and qualifying. So, you know, mine my, my is pretty simple, straightforward. When the NASCAR want, it, it wants to take my suggestions or not, I, I run, you know, I... That's up to them. They're going to, you know, hopefully that, you know, I've made myself vocal enough in this aspect. But I, I'm i in favor of going back to these single-car qualifying runs with those provisions into it that prevent and cut out the gamesmanship and, and just playing so many games, not only with the way that you go out there and present your car, but, um, you know, the time that it takes to go out there and run these single qualifying runs. And, and, and just to go back to this point real quick is, you know, I know a lot of fans say that it's kind of boring, but we still do this in the Daytona 500. We we pole and outside pole qualify as well as set up the duels by single car qualifying. And this year it took less than an hour and a half to roll 44 or 45 cars through uh, qualifying. Uh, and it's a pretty similar, uh, pretty similar setup. You get the one hot lap. I mean, you get the one warm up lap coming up, coming to the flag, and then you get your hot lap, and then you go back to the garage. So you know, I I think that it could be structured in that sort of way, and that's just kind of the way that I feel about it because I've never been in favor of of this uh, group qualifying. I don't think heats works into it because I've seen heats play out. Uh, in the Xfinity series, and you know, while you may have one of the two heats where there's a lot of drivers that are trying to clamor to to get a better uh, starting positions, you have the other 50% or 60 or 70% of the drivers that are just out there riding around because they don't want to damage their race cars, and they know that if these back markers or you know starting park drivers go out there and start 10th or 8th or 5th or whatever the case is. They're just going to pass them in a half dozen and dozen laps anyways, and they don't really care. So, you know, I don't think heats really work because there's no incentive to go out there and uh, and run the heat at, you know, what NASCAR considers 100% ability. And, Steve, let me change gears here. Uh, going on into fourth gear here. Uh, Jimmy Johnson sat on a pole this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. William Byron outside. First time. Hendrick Motorsports has been that high up in qualifying in some time. And the struggles with Hendrick's there with the uh, probably, I'm going to probably say the nine car is probably the, uh, the strongest with uh, the, the maybe the uh, 88 being behind him. But we've had winners this year. Like I said, Denny Hamlin won the Daytona 500. He won this past weekend at Texas. The uh, Pinsky 
the Pinsky teams, they've got everything figured out. What do you think the is Jimmy Johnson lost that golden horseshoe that everybody talked about for years and years? What is the issue you think with the Hendrick Motorsports Group trying to get back to their top tier running situation? Well, I think it's I think it's kind of twofold, and with Hendrick Motorsports, their their continuing problems are. Jimmy Johnson is at the end of his career. Sure, he had a great run. He put it put it on the pole first time in about 90, I think 97 races or whatever it was. Um, I don't remember right off the top of my head. I heard it this weekend. And I thought it's like something like 90 races or whatever odd number of races that it was. You know, he ran fairly well throughout the day, and I think he had him. He had a very strong car throughout the day, but it's you know that's been the exception to the rule um, over the last nearly two seasons, I guess. Um, Jimmy Johnson is in pretty good physical condition as far as that's concerned. Um, Jim Johnson, unfortunately, is just at the end of his career, and, and his best days are behind him. Um, I think that he, at this point, is there to bring some veteran knowledge to the team. And that kind of plays into the second point. You've got three other very young drivers over there at uh, uh, Hendrick Motorsports with Alex Bowman and Chase Elliott, William Byron. Um, William Byron himself didn't grow up racing stock cars. He didn't race cars at all. Uh, He came from another avenue. Did he have a natural talent to drive the race cars? Yes, but it's going to take time to develop that natural talent that other drivers like Chase Elliott are much farther ahead of him in the fact that Elliott ran carts, ran late miles, ran super late miles, he ran regional racing, he ran trucks, he ran Xfinity. Now he's in a cup series. You know, he's run everything in between, so he has a natural ability that's been honed. Uh, Alex Bowman is another guy that has grown up in uh, uh, racing cars, but he, uh, again, he's a young driver that um, is still honing his talent. So the Hendrick Motorsports is unfortunately um, – farther and farther behind because Toyota has come into this sport and Toyota has poured money into this sport and Toyota has built a, a an ascension of drivers and they look at drivers across the spectrum. Um, you know, they're looking at open-wheel drivers, they're looking at dirt drivers, they're looking at uh, Baja drivers, they look at stock car drivers, they look at sprint drivers, uh, they look at anything and everything. And then they attach themselves uh, to these drivers and uh, give them an ability to ascend within the sport. This is something that Chevrolet and Ford, unfortunately, continue to fall farther and farther behind because they have no natural progression of drivers where 
they're going out and making concerted effort year after year after year, not only the effort to go and find these drivers, but the effort to fund these drivers and fund teams that can bring drivers throughout the ranks of NASCAR. And let's just take Toyota, for example. Toyota in, in, in the K&N series has um, Bill McAnally racing. They have David Gilden and, and DGR Crosley. Um, you know, they, they've got those guys there. Then they've got KBM in, in the truck series that those those drivers can move to. And then they've got Joe Gibbs Racing in, in, the, uh, in, in the Xfinity series. And then you've got Joe Gibbs Racing. You've got others uh, uh, now... Um, uh, Lombard Family Racing and others in, in the Cup Series. So there's a natural progression that that, 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 that Team Chevy and Ford Performance are not grasping at this point. And I think that plays into the larger picture of why we see some of these teams fall further and further behind when they're outside of Toyota. And I think that's indicative of the fact of Hendrick Motorsports. Um, if Team Chevy and Ford Performance can come together, not necessarily together, together, but come together as an organization and do something similar where they, they seek these drivers out, they fund these drivers, and they fund the teams, um, help fund these teams to keep keep these drivers in race cars and good quality equipment. And, you know, I think you will see a turn in the fact of how those organizations overall are affected. And right now, Ford Performance really only has Penske and Stuart Haas Racing. You know, uh, Jack Roush and those guys, they're kind of to the side. Wood Brothers, unfortunately, are kind of to the side, even though that they're, they're, they've are got, you know, things to do with uh, uh, um, Penske. You got Richard Chose Racing and Hendrick Motorsports that are both big, big dominant in the Chevrolet over the years, but they've kind of fallen by the wayside. And I think that just kind of plays into the larger, broader uh, conversation of the fact of, you know, these drivers just need a natural progression, and that's the way this sport is now becoming. Um, and, and Toyota has done a really good job of it. Um, Team Chevy and Ford Performance have not. And that's why we see the struggles that we see over places like Hendrick Motorsports, why we see the struggles at Richard Harris Racing, why we see the struggles at Jack over at uh, Roush Racing. Um, in the same way with other teams, and I'm just picking these these teams out. They aren't the only teams that are having problems with this, but there needs to be a natural progression, and I think that if they can start honing this talent in and giving opportunities like Chase Elliott has had um, between Ford in the early days and then Chevrolet once he got into bigger, heavier trucks and stock cars, I think that's where you're going to see the natural curve uh, uh, changing, and I'll tell you where you'll see drivers become more honed in their skills and teams become more dominant like JGR has uh, across their board. And uh, I think that's really, you know, what uh, is it, hurting or hindering um, Hendrick Motorsports as well as other organizations at this time. And while Chase Elliott has had the best natural progression, I think, of all of them, uh, and he's won races, I think that, you know, it's a long shot away. Uh, of the way that Toyota is cultivating these drivers versus other manufacturers at this time. Very well explained, Stephen. I really appreciate that. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put the I'm gonna put the white flag out. One more lap to go. Uh, I'm gonna let you get ready to uh, 
let it let our listeners know the TV times and everything this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway. But I want to, since I put the white flag out before we end this, I want to back up and uh, Texas Motor Speedway had put that PJ one that track back down out there, and I think that had I think that opened up the middle to the top groove also. Bristol Motor Speedway has always put that PJ one down. Stephen, have you heard? Are they going to put that PJ one down this weekend there at Bristol Motor Speedway? I have not heard, but I would suspect that over the last couple of years to open up that bottom groove, um, I, I think that we may see uh, uh, that be applied there. And listeners, again, I want to apologize. I think Company Willard must have had something going on. But, uh, Stephen, if you want to let everybody know the TV times this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway, you got the floor, brother. Sure. Um, Monster Energy NASCAR, a bunch of practice and stuff on Friday with Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series qualifying at 6.10 p.m. Um, then kicking it over there to Saturday, we've got uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series qualifying at 9.40 uh, with uh, 1 o'clock Xfinity Series racing from them, uh, 300 laps, 159 miles for, the, uh, I think it's Fitzgerald's Guide or something, 300, sorry. I, I don't right. remember right. off the top of my head. Uh, FS1 has that for you. Uh, the now here's something interesting: the NASCAR Xfinity, uh, NASCAR Canyon Pro Series East race. That's going to run about four o'clock. Um, 100, 150 last 79 miles for them. Uh, I don't know if they're going to put that on fans' choice or not. I'd have to check in and see. But um, if if anywhere. Um, Somebody's interested in looking for the Xfinity series. I mean, the Canyon series race. Uh, it'll most likely be on fans' choice. Then on Sunday, the Food City 500, two o'clock, uh, 500 laps, 266.5 miles. Uh, Fox has your um, call for that. PRN series XM radio um, has the call uh, for you. Amen, brother. And y'all tune in this weekend. Uh, NASCAR at Bristol. Nothing like racing at Bristol Motor Speedway, Stephen. I want to uh, I want to thank you for everything that you do for the sport. Thank you for hosting uh, my website, pitstopradio.net, and uh, you can follow Stephen. And Stephen's got a really awesome website. Y'all, y'all need to go check out speedwaydigest.com. Stephen, let everybody know where they can follow you on social media and your Facebook. And before I let you say that, I know. My next race is Talladega. Your next race is Bridgeton, which is the week before Talladega. And then we're all going to Charlotte. We got we got a big schedule this week, this year for 2019 with NASCAR. NASCAR is welcome aboard as, uh, you know, we're going to do some live radio feeds from the tracks and all that. But anyway, Stephen, I'm sorry about that. just want to get that out there. Let everybody know what they can find you on social media website, brother. You can follow me at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Speedway Digest and SpeedwayDigest.com. Amen, brother. And we're going to throw the checkered flag. Like I said, he's Stephen Wilson, com, right outside of Richmond Raceway. I'm Tim the same live here in Degan Nation. We will talk to you next Tuesday after the Bristol, the awesome Bristol Race Weekend. Stephen, tell I am involved with the hello. We'll talk to you next Tuesday, brother.
who've been here from the beginning and the new ones along the way to those who've witnessed history and those who've made their own you've made the last 50 years go by fast and we're not slowing down this is talladega